0: Welcome to the For the Win Podcast. I'm Ted Berg. I'm joined today by my colleague and friend, Mr. Luke Curtinine. Luke, how are you?
1: Good, Ted. How are you?
0: I'm doing well. You know, this is uh, still a new thing for me, a new venture since our man, Nate Scott, has fled this operation. So I'm hosting the podcast and I'm, I'm trying out some new format ideas. And this is one I think might be cool. Uh, I want to have, you know, people from from For the Wind, some of our, our staff members, I think, have interesting things to say, interesting things to talk about onto the show. I know Nate did that as well a lot, but I, I like a little bit more... I guess it's weird to say I like more structure than Nate, because I don't think that's true in any way, but, uh, you know, I want to try out uh, different ways of of sort of fostering conversation here to see what might work and what might stick, Um, and one I brought up with Hemel uh, last week on the podcast, um, we had a very uh, meta podcast in which we discussed ways we might uh, change and improve the podcast, uh, is... uh, Having someone on, uh, having especially a, a fellow For the Win staffer on, and discussing some of our favorite things that happened in sports over the past week. I used to do this on an old podcast. We would do one good thing and one bad thing, but you know the way I see it, we should be here to celebrate stuff. Uh, I want to celebrate only things I like, it's fun sometimes to talk about, accentuate the negative, Uh, certainly there's some some good business in that, but uh, it's not the business I want to do, you know, I want to talk about fun things. So uh, I prepped you for this, I hope, so you have ideally come up with three good things that may have happened in the past week or so, and again, you know, I'm not a, a hard, rule hardline rules guy here so we're not going to go if, if if it didn't happen exactly in the past week that's fine you know whatever you want to talk about is cool uh we can count down uh give them some sort of nominal order which i haven't really done yet but uh, i want to give you number one uh so i will go first if that works with you does that work with you
1: all sound great with me ted you, you go ahead
0: what's going on anyway i mean before we even get into it uh let's let's just chat just for a second to loosen us loosen us up a little bit How was your holiday? We're we're recording this on, uh, this won't roll out today, but we're recording it on Boxing Day. Uh, How is Boxing Day going for you?
1: It's good, it's good. So um, growing up, Boxing Day was by far my uh, my, my preference over Christmas Day and Christmas Eve Day. Um, Just simply because uh, in England, it's a little different. Okay, so let's back up and say that. So in America, like every sort of, big scale commercial sport is designed for a huge television audience where in uh, in england for whatever reason it's really not like uh, all the soccer games kick off at exactly the same time every single weekend and they've only started to tweak this recently and it's been like trying to it, it was as if they have proposed like moving the Uh, premier league to the moon like it's just this (laughs) radical like nobody can believe that they actually dare stagger games so they it's this big ongoing issue but boxing day was the day where it was so generally accepted that okay we're gonna stagger we're gonna stagger some games on boxing day nobody has to go to work we're gonna televise all of them it's gonna be a big soccer day so growing up boxing day was by far like my it just turned into a sports holiday just my favorite thing so um so far so good you know christmas was good i got some got got some fun things that i'm uh, uh, i made something especially delicious which we're going to talk about later just a little a little teaser but it's um good tease. But yeah, good tease thank you uh but but you know long answer to, to your question the boxing day is going well so far
0: See, I, to me, growing up in the US, Boxing Day is merely something noted on calendars everywhere. It says Boxing Day, and then in parentheses, either Canada or UK. Um, and that's it. That's all I knew about Boxing Day. I honestly thought, and this is not a joke, like, I really thought it had to do with the sport of boxing for a long time. I was like, maybe that's like a day when everyone in England boxes each other. <laughs> um, I didn't realize that it meant like. So, that uh, Boxing Day, traditionally in England, that's the day you share gifts?
1: Yes, uh, share gifts. Um, yeah, I, th- I think, I th- I, to be honest, I'm not even sure where the name comes from. Perhaps you can teach me a little bit more about it. I thought it was because like,
0: you, you put stuff in boxes.
1: Uh, that makes sense. Yeah, the I, don't man, man, I, mean, I don't
0: know. I was guessing that.
1: Uh, it's either that or it's either uh, taking out the boxes. It's kind of what I assume, but I have no factual basis for why it's. We should actually probably have looked this up. You know what? what?
0: <laughs> you know what? In the first episode of the show I hosted, when I had uh, I had Goodnight Texas, the band who does the the theme song on, we discussed uh, at length. We discussed what I believed to be the town where the Andy Griffith show was filmed, um, and I was completely wrong about it. And we were just saying that Shelby, North Carolina was where they filmed the Andy Griffith show. It is not true. It is not true. And uh, we went with it. Because I said maybe this isn't true. We we're acknowledging that maybe this isn't true about Boxing Day. But the good news is we do sort of live in a post-fact society. We're on the internet. We're saying it's true. Let's just assume it's true. Boxing Day is named that because it's the day you put stuff in boxes.
1: Uh, here we go. Okay, so I'm according to our, the good people over at Wikipedia, uh, renowned for their accuracy on all the topics, <laughs> Um, It says, in Britain, it was custom for tradespeople to collect Christmas boxes of money or presents on the first weekday after Christmas as thanks for good service throughout the year. So it would have been unholy, presumably, to do that on Christmas Day. So um, they they collected their Christmas boxes on Boxing Day Ergo. Fast forward now uh, to this podcast in the distant future, and that's how it became to be regarded as Boxing Day. So
0: we were more or less right, and now I appreciate that you looked that up because it reminds me that I need to uh, give my building super and my mailman their, their holiday tips.
1: Yes, I did that already. I'm ahead. Of, I'm ahead of the curve. Um, so, so I'm, I'm hoping that if a uh, god forbid a pipe bursts in my apartment, that I'll be on. I'll be in the good books for at least the next year.
0: Yeah, and I mean, you want to do it because it's a decent thing to do, but I do think it's kind of funny when like the mailman drops the little like "Happy Holidays" from your mailman <laughs> note in the in the mailbox. And look, I get it. I would um, certainly, you know, obviously presumably the mailman really counts on those holiday tips mailmen work hard they it's incredible really you can send anything across the country and it gets there in like three days and you know no rain nor hail nor sleet nor snow or whatever will stop them i appreciate it not knocking mailmen it is just a little bit it's kind of funny to me when it's like oh wow what a nice note from our mailman what are the chances
1: (laughs) so suddenly a little on the nose yeah but Uh, But um, but you know, for the wind readers, if 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 we work hard providing you internet content uh, every single day of the year, so you know, I'm not saying uh, I'm not saying anything, but I'm certainly going to wish you a happy holidays right now. Just just going to put that out there. Right,
0: happy holidays from the For the Wind podcast. Wink, wink. And Nate's not here anymore. Just so you know, Nate's not Nate. It's dead. Not.
1: No implication here, <laughs> just saying, I hope you have a great holiday. Right. Okay. Well,
0: let's get on with the, the counting down. We're going to call this the, the six best things, our six favorite things of the week. We This is a loosely nominated, loosely constructed title that I really just came up with like three seconds ago. Uh, again, we're all, this is a very fluid podcast format. We're going to see how it goes. Maybe later on, maybe this is something that is a massive success and gets sponsored by someone and it'll be like six awesome things presented. By Chevrolet or whoever, but uh, for right now, let's just say it is six top things of the week. Our six best things of the week. Uh, I'm going to start us out, and I'm going to say, and this is a weird one for me because, uh, as you know, you know, I don't watch a, a ton of football at this point in my life. I'm very much. Uh, dedicated, sort of single-mindedly focused on baseball, but I do keep uh, some tabs on the other sports, and something that's very near and dear to my heart as a former uh, offensive lineman and and defensive lineman, linebacker type, uh, the Kansas City Chiefs' Don Terry Poe, a 346-pound defensive lineman, threw a touchdown pass on Christmas, and that is... So incredible to me because I can guarantee you that every single kid who has ever put on football pants and shoulder pads in his entire life, no matter, there is not a single person in the world. And I knew, you know, I had an older brother who played football. I knew what my family's build looks like. We are physically built only for pushing things, right? Like I have one natural athletic talent, and it is that I have extraordinarily strong legs, right? So that is just, you can push stuff and that's it that's what I've got I can't jump I can't shoot a basketball I don't hit a baseball all that well but I am very well constructed for shoving stuff around so it was just you learn how to play football it's third grade that I remember my first day of football practice my first day of football practice I was like a two weeks late for joining the team and I was in third grade I was playing peewee football and a coach pulled me outside as soon as I walked onto the field I was like son this is how you this is how you do a three point stance and, and there was like never even an inclination that I might carry a ball at any point and uh, obviously you dream about it, right? And, you know, I wound up with the ball sometimes on defense, but I was never someone with a constructed play around me uh, In in the, on the offensive side. We'd run center sneaks in, in practice sometimes for fun, but that was about it. So it was always the lifelong dream. It is the lifelong dream of every single lineman to – throw a touchdown pass, to be a skill position player for one time, to be that guy who gets the credit instead of the unsung hero. And so, uh, a huge ups to Dontari Poe, uh, who probably had a really awesome Christmas. Uh, he is now the heaviest player in NFL history with both a touchdown pass and a touchdown run. Uh, and for, for both of them separately, he is the largest man to ever run for a touchdown and the largest man to ever throw for a touchdown. That guy's my hero.
1: So this is the thing I don't get, right? So big props to the offensive lineman. Super, super, uh, super happy to see it happen. Always love a big guy scoring a touchdown. Um, the thing that I don't understand about uh, football, having coming, having come from a country where my first... Uh, uh, a country who loves rugby uh so much it's that i don't understand why teams with bad quarterbacks don't adopt a, strat- a strategy similar to this more often and so uh, why why aren't they putting three linebacker types and just trying to run the ball a bunch more i, I some, nobody has given me a good explanation for why they don't do it apart from saying that it hasn't really been done before and it would be a little weird to do like why why aren't and you see it a little bit in college but like if you're the cleveland browns and you have a sack of potatoes as your quarterback and you haven't won a game and you have nothing to lose why don't you just put a pretty fast 200 pound oh sorry not even 200 uh, 300, would be a
0: tiny th- for an nfl th- r- r- I,
1: I know i misspoke a 300 pound 350 pound guy uh Three hundred fifty pounds seems too big. So about three hundred pound guy, and just try to have him just run, and if he runs into tr- and truck people, and get a few yards that way, and or maybe lateral it a few times before that, and just adopt a bit more of a sort of an option offense or a option slash rugby style offense instead of trying to throw the ball that just ends up in a series of incompletions and punts and interceptions and fumbles. I, I really don't get it.
0: I would guess that in most cases those guys are so ill prepared. You know, there's so much in being, uh, and and I think that in general one of my gripes with the NFL is just the way, uh, from the casual perspective, we tend to. And this is something I think actually extends even up to NFL front offices, is we tend to overrate athleticism and and underrate just raw football ability. And this is something I think I, you know, I I guess I I like, maybe I say that because I tend to think I was a... Better football player than I was an athlete, uh, but you see it, and especially you see it with running backs. Like there are tons of people who can outrun Barry Sanders, you know, in a forty-yard foot race. Uh, but what Barry Sanders has, and I'm I, again, I'm citing old examples because those are the best I've got for for football but you know there's a, a a vision to it and an instinct to it that some people have and and some people just don't i actually uh you see it, it's funny it's a funny example but my my 10-year-old nephew plays peewee football and his team won the long island championship this year because his team has this kid uh who is he's a tiny little kid and he doesn't look like he's especially way faster or way stronger than any of the other kids. He's certainly not, it's certainly not a situation where it's like, well, one kid is, you know, more physically mature than the rest of the kids. He looks very much like the 10 year old he is. This kid is so freaking good at football and they just give him the ball and he basically runs for a touchdown every time because so much of it is, is sort of seeing the holes and seeing how things are going to develop and knowing. Uh, you know, when you can spin out of a, a tackle, when you can cut and avoid a tackle. Um, and and that that sort of, it's what you call in basketball, you call court vision, uh, I think is very much a part of football and very much a part of being a running back. And I think on top of that, uh, and and while I understand, that, you know, okay, let's give it to a 300-pound guy, just run straight forward. Uh, there's a 300-pound guy on the defensive line there too, right? So they're going to be able to take that guy down. And I think that, you know by the time you get to the NFL you've spent so much time training to be a running back if you're an NFL running back that you're really really good at protecting the ball and i know that from my experience running the ball like and again in in high school you know i mean certainly by no means would i be uh, one of the biggest guys on on any team, but my high school team, which was very bad, right? But in high school, where I was one of the biggest and strongest guys, and where when I would take the ball for to run the ball in practice, I could steamroll over people, right? Because you're you're dealing with I was a bigger guy then, and I, and I was dealing with you know kids who were a year younger than me and maybe you know 40, 50 pounds lighter than me in the opposite in the defensive backfield, so I could run those guys over. But what would happen to me invariably? Uh, if I ran the ball too many times in practice, is people would just start knocking the ball out of my hands because I didn't have I didn't have the training to protect the ball as well as someone who had been a running back forever.
1: It's a good point. It's a good point. I uh, and there's of course no uh, there's no matching like when when you have a kid who is just smaller and has just the instinct for the quarterback or running back position, for example. Uh, there's there's no denying that like quality will win out. It's just. I would, uh, you know, I would love to see an NFL team just try to do essentially a variation of what Florida did with Tebow, where they have like a big athletic guy who couldn't really throw it, but didn't really need to because he was more focused on kind of trying to bulldoze his way 10 yards every time see Um, I I think
0: and I think where that like, why that works in college because this is a actually it's a fascinating subject to me like and and for as much as I don't really love the NFL I do love football as like a a conceptual sport like i do i think it's kind of like the one true team sport where if all 11 men do exactly what they're supposed to do you succeed and and if only 9 of them do you don't you know and i find that sort of fascinating i love football offenses and things I, my understanding is the general reason we don't expect an offense uh, an option offense to work in the NFL is that the defensive players are just too physically gifted right like you can Tim Tebow is going to be more physically talented. Even you know you're you're dealing with so many NCAA Division One teams, and only two guys from each team have lasting NFL success, right? So the by and large, there is a weak spot on that defense that Tebow can exploit. And I don't think there's a weak spot on even the worst NFL team's defense. That's going to be you know some quarterback is going to be able to run you right over, right? Like it's just everybody's too good and everybody's too fast for yeah, that T- sort of Tebow's.
1: Tebow certainly benefited from that, right? Like it, it starts in sort of elementary school and kind of it continues right up through college, where you know you kind of put your most athletic person as the quarterback because he has the most control, and then you just kind of let him be athletic. Whereas in in uh, in in pros, you definitely see that happen, right? Like they're just diminishing returns. Everybody's kind of working from about the same baseline as athleticism. That it stops being the ones that are playing for the others uh, level on on a sort of athletic base on athletic grounding um you start to need to lean back on other skills, which a lot of these guys just don't have.
0: Right. And, and you need, I think that's when like, you know, the offensive play calling becomes a little bit more important. And, you know, even in college, it seems like teams have now mostly moved away from the option offense and stuff like that. Just because, uh, again, like I think in across all sports, people are just bigger and faster and stronger. And, and so, uh, those type of things, you, you can't really rely on physically dominating someone, uh, really much past, like the high school level, high school. I think you know you see a kid like Tim Tebow in high school. Uh, any team worth its salt is just going to give that kid the ball every single time, right? And and every single time he's going to do really well. Uh, it might take he might go down. It might take a few guys, but uh, they're going to be able to steamroll people. So you do see it if you watch like a, a high school team. Uh, and I've I've been on the wrong end of that more times than on the on the good end of it. But if you see like the one physically dominant player, uh, the one guy who's who's D one bound in any high school game is dominating the game. Nice. Uh, let's go All to right. your thing. Let's give me your give me. Let's go. So that was number six. Let's go number five. Top thing of the week, uh, Luke. What's up?
1: Right, so number five, my third. Favorite option of the three that I have is that. Um, can we talk about how this has been a sneaky good sports weekend? Um,
0: you know, everyone always well, talks a fat about fat guy it. threw for a touchdown.
1: The, the, the fat guy threw for a touchdown, which is definitely up there. Lots of soccer, which is up there on mine. Though that may be a negative in your mind, but but
0: whatever. no, I don't. I don't. I, I, you know, look, I get that, and I used to be that type, like where I'd be like, well, oh, this is why soccer is lame," and like that's sort of like an, an, an uh, a thing. That's like an American subculture. Soccer is not really for me. I like. I get that. Too many people I like and respect appreciate soccer too much for me to just dismiss it out of hand. I am from a world that I I don't particularly love subtlety. And I feel like maybe uh, subtlety is sort of there in soccer. Like uh, people get really amped up about the near miss in soccer, which like if you almost hit a home run in baseball and you're like four feet shy, that's not that cool, right? But like I get that like soccer goals happen with such rarity that like, you know, just kicking the ball four feet over the net is like pretty exciting. I'm I'm not here to hate on soccer
1: no I'm with you I'm with you and so um, but yeah so like everyone talks about Thanksgiving being this awesome holiday uh, for sports and it is in a lot of cases but in Thanksgiving really all you have is football and that's it really I mean um, whereas uh, whereas on between Christmas Eve uh, the day of Christmas um, you know the day of Christmas Eve uh, the Christmas Day and now Boxing Day you have slate of amazing basketball games you have a bunch of really uh decisive football games which can determine the which did determine the um, playoff playoff outcomes or um, well, not playoff outcomes excuse me, playoff the outcome of Uh, teams with playoff chances in a lot of cases and then you have a bunch of soccer games which were all really entertaining too so um, i'm sure there are some fringy sports that were missing along the way i know espn was broadcasting drone racing so i don't want to don't want to slight that community but um but 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 more or less you have we had a bunch of stuff to choose from this weekend and i I think that deserves a shout out in our top six
0: yeah i i hear that you know i think that uh if for you know celebrating these things and and it's a, again it's associated with Thanksgiving is like you you have Thanksgiving and like before and after you're actually sitting down at the table for the meal uh, the football game is just sort of on in the background. That's that's uh, at least here in in the U.S. You know that's that's the understood thing is that like the football game is on. You're not even necessarily paying that close attention to it. The football game is just kind of on, and and I think uh, usually around Easter, at least uh, especially with like my wife's family is, is sort of golf crazed, uh, and so around Easter time on Easter uh, there's golf on, right? And 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 that's how that goes. Um, so yeah, I kind of like the. I think that the 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 sports in the background makes like a really nice thing for a holiday setting because uh, it's something to talk about. You know, like you can you can always like if if there's a lull in conversation, you look at the TV. A fat guy's throwing a touchdown pass. You're like, oh my god! And we can all talk about that. So I'm I'm all for it. I'm for Christmas weekend uh, being good sports, good NBA stuff. And I would say I also kind of like the idea of uh, ESPN showing drone racing. You know, like I when uh, when I was very young. ESPN existed and ESPN sort of like a, I feel like it used to be more heavily towards playing an obscure sport like it feels like now if they need time to fill they're filling the time with like two guys shouting about sports whereas it used to be they're filling the time with like whatever random sport they could find to broadcast and to me and I say this on a podcast that is very much two guys yelling about sports I would always rather watch the actual sport than hear people talk about it. And I know that's bad for, for our business of what we do, but uh, that's how I am. Like, I, I like to watch the actual sport, and, like, I would I would be down for watching drone racing.
1: Yeah, there are a lot of, uh, I mean, I think the, not even a secret about sports fans, I think a lot of sports fans will freely admit that, they're, that when it, that once you like sports, once you determine that you like sports, they're pretty agnostic about what kind of sport it is. You can kind of get sucked into anything,
0: right? Oh, yeah. I mean, well, again, like, for me, like, I, I don't often find myself sucked into soccer is one example, but I think that that's complicated for me by, like, um, what I would call, like, the Brooklyn soccer hipster. Um, like, it's it, to me, it always feels like, and again, I don't begrudge anyone their right to like soccer, but, like, I It always feels a little bit like a put-on or or it often feels like a put-on when people are like, oh, well, I studied abroad for three weeks and so now I love this. This is my soccer team and I'm super passionate about it. Um, And I kind of feel like it, it seems like a little bit like they're posers. Um, if they're not people who like grew up loving soccer, but ultimately, like I don't actually think that's a bad thing. I feel like you know why not take up a new team? Why not take up a new sport? Um, and yeah, like I think that there probably are sports out there that I haven't watched a lot of that I could, if given the opportunity, and if uh, if it was put in front of my face more often, I might get super into. Right? Like there are like I every time I've tried to watch Australian no rules football. I've thought it seems awesome, but I don't know how it works, and I don't know who's good. I don't
1: know I could I could see you tucking into some good cricket next ne- ne- next Christmas. Uh, I love cricket. I
0: love cricket highlights. I don't know. Uh, I really don't get how cricket works. I know like we've talked about it a lot, right? But I I know like the very basic ground rules of cricket, um, and, and then that's about it for me. Like I know that you're trying to hit a six, but I know that you're not always trying to hit a six, right?
1: No 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 it's a strategic time sometimes you need to block of sometimes you need to uh Like slow the pace of uh, an already slow game down, and you start start blocking, and you start going for fours or singles um, because that's all you need. You don't want to risk. You're you're trying to wait out essentially your your opponent.
0: Right, which which I don't agree with. I want to watch a sport where, like, I feel like baseball players will tell you otherwise, but any baseball player worth his salt will be like, yeah, honestly, obviously, you want to hit a home run every single time up, and (laughs) that's kind of what I like about baseball. Is like, you know, like if if you cut through all of like the oh he's doing the little things that now you want to hit home runs I mean a home run is always the best thing you can do I feel like in cricket it would be cooler if a six was 100% of the time the best thing you can do and guys should just be like swinging for the fences there but uh, again like I'm not here to knock what I believe is actually a, a fairly cool sport
1: all right. So what do we have what's, what's so next number, on your Number
0: list? 4. Okay, so this is uh we're going to off the sports path here. Now again, we said I said let's try to keep at least one sports thing in our, in our top 6 countdown uh each, but and we both picked two sports things, I think. Um so for number 4 will be my non-sports thing. And this is not from this week. This is from last week and and Hemel I talked a, a little bit about uh, how I was recently on vacation. I went to New Mexico, and I wanted—I was going to go food route because um, there's certainly a lot of good food there. Uh, but I know you're going to—you're going to discuss a little food later, and I want to talk about that too. And I don't want to go too food heavy, uh, especially as Hamel—Hamel's uh, our producer, and we discussed earlier. She's—she's not—she's more of a food utilitarian than than I am, whereas uh, so I don't want to go too food heavy for her sake because she's going to be listening to this. Um, so I will say um, in Santa Fe, and uh, there's Italian for you because I know that George R. R. Martin is your boy. Is that correct? George R. R. Martin is your boy. Can I say that?
1: Oh, please do say that.
0: All right. So George R. R. Martin, the producer and writer of Game of Thrones, uh, bought a defunct bowling alley in Santa Fe and turned it over to a community of artists, and it's called uh, Meow Wolf and it was and and now it's like a it's it does a bunch of things there's like a there's a a music venue there and there's like a a space for santa fe artists who are making stuff but the the bulk of this thing and it's huge is this like weird it's so hard to describe and so it seems like a bad thing to bring up on the podcast because it's very hard to put into words but it's a it's a sort of like a haunted house for adults, but there's no, like, set course you can go through it. So you you enter into this giant space, and and what you see is the rebuilt front of like a beautiful Victorian house, and you can and en- you enter into the front door, and then from there you can basically go anywhere, and you wind up down. Like, and you can you can open the fridge and and step into the fridge, and there's like a portal to this. Um, it, there's like a, there's some sort of vague backstory that's. I don't know if it's a set narrative um, that they've figured out, or if it's all just supposed to be sort of vague, and you're allowed to connect the dots. But it's like some some sort of event happened in this house that was very spooky that involves you know the afterlife and alien intervention and uh strange you know like physical happenstances like almost like like the early parts of Lost when you're like trying to figure out Lost and you're like I don't really know what's happening in Lost but I know that I think it's cool and I know that it's sort of forcing me to to think about reality and and perception and all of these different aspects of it um this place, I should say, it's called Meow Wolf, like, I I don't know if it's a play on Beowulf or not, but it looks like Beowulf, except with a, with an, with a M at the front, um, and and I can't stop thinking about it, really, it was just a, it was not something that I have seen anywhere else, like, sort of this, like, sort of very fun, uh, walk-in art, experiment installation, uh, and it sort of forced you, like, even later on the same trip, then, like, now I'm looking for hidden doorways everywhere, now I'm, like, uh, like, expecting things to be, uh, there to be, like, little secret pockets where I can go, but, like, it was such a cool experience going to this place in Santa Fe and walking around, and and there's no, I love that there's no pathway you need to follow right that it was like you can basically get to everything from everywhere eventually um but at every single turn there's like three ways for you to go so it's different than like a haunted house you see at a carnival where there's you know a very set story in a very set way you sort of travel through this was like a Uh, It was just like an experience. It was so cool that, like, my wife and I went, um, there's actually a a water leak the day we went, and we had been there for, like, two hours walking around, but we knew we hadn't seen everything, Um, so we, we went back the next day and went in again just to make sure we had seen every aspect of it, and I kind of feel like, we need more stuff like that. And, like, I get that New York is tough for that because space is at such a premium. But I feel like there's spots in, like, Queens and the Bronx and Jersey where you could have, like, big, sort of fun things for adults to do that are, like, a. And it was for kids, too. Kids were in there. But it was definitely not for kids. Um, and I feel like there's just not enough, like, non movie theater, non bar entertainment options for grown ups. And I'd like that.
1: I feel like that's a good take. Uh, it reminds me a little bit of Sleep No More. Did you ever go to Sleep No More here in New York?
0: No, I don't know what that is.
1: Oh, you need. To, this is like exactly what you're describing. Oh, so, like, well,
0: maybe there is one in New York. Tell me more. I, I,
1: I highly recommend. Okay, so basically, what it is, um, I'm going to about to do a uh, butchery of a job describing it, but it is in Chelsea, down in the meatpacking district. There's this. There was this huge abandoned warehouse which they turned into, which is essentially like a. Um, a, a haunted house for adults, as you kind of described it, and sort of running concurrently within this um, within this house is the is different scenes from the uh, play Macbeth. Okay, but it's all like it, it's got a super sort of trip. It's sort of set in the 1920s, and it's got a super trippy vibe. And basically, what you do is you enter this haunted house for lack of a better word and you start exploring it yourself um the play is unfolding on a loop in different sections all around you in different rooms okay but the, you don't follow a schedule or anything you basically you just go walk around and the play is how you experience it that's your experience if i go to this room first and then that room first and then that room first and then the person i'm with um, may go to a separate, may, may go a separate route, but that doesn't matter, you know, you may catch some of the same things, you may catch something different, and you just, uh, it, it, it's this really fascinating experience, because uh, you walk out of there, not only with different experiences to the person you go with, but with, um, but, but, but having sort of seen the play unfold around you, like there are actors and actresses walking around you, um, acting out this section of the play as you're walking around in it. And it's very much like what you make it yourself. Highly recommend it, Ted. I think you'd really like it if you
0: like it. I'm this. looking it up right now. I'm on the internet. I'm, I'm at that website. I'm totally going to this. This is, sounds totally up my alley. I can't believe I didn't know about this. I, I, um, I'm this is, so this upset is, that you, like adopted New Yorker, would know about this before me. I have like the worst case of FOMO of my life right now.
1: Quite literally the first thing and probably the last thing that I have just told Ted about New York that he hasn't known already. Um, but yes, no, it's it's really awesome, Ted. I've been twice and I really want to go again. It's it's so, so good.
0: All right. Yeah, I'm going. All right. That's a good – and if you're ever seen in Santa Fe, if you like that, you should go to this place, Meow Wolf, which is also cool and uh, funded by the guy who made Game of Thrones. So I guess you know it's kind of weird. It's nothing like Game of Thrones uh, except that it is also weird um and, is otherwise nothing like influence
1: and ted my hot tip to you and i suppose to any of our listeners who might also be going to sleep no more after this is to don't follow the main characters you'll find the main characters but follow the fringy because the fringe characters because what you'll see is they'll be like lady macbeth acting out some big scene for example and again like it's not like traditional shakespeare it's like very neo-modern um, oh
0: and sleep no more is a Macbeth. Re- i get it it's a Macbeth reference yeah like yes die yes to sleep but, no more. But, but
1: what you but what you'll see is you'll see actors watching like the actors okay and then they'll be acting on a loop too they'll be doing something they'll watch and they'll look and they'll see something and then they'll move on to be doing what they're doing it's a separate story like, follow those people Follow those people who are uh, who sort of voyeurist whole experience, uh, and then you will get that's the that's the way to find the coolest, most interesting storylines. Don't follow around Lady Macbeth. That's you know it's lame. Follow around the people, the actors who are watching Lady. Macbeth.
0: And how long can you, is, you? How long can you stay in there? Can you just like stay in there forever, or do you just? Um, is I there like, it's. Is there an end?
1: I think there's a two and a, I think it's a two and a half hour experience. So, like you know, it kind of all accumulates in this one thing. Um, well, it all accumulates to the end of Macbeth. But, 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 but yeah, like uh, yeah, I think it. I think it lasts about two and a half hours. Flies right. by.
0: Yeah, that sounds like that sounds like fun. Um, all right, so I will check somebody... that out. Thanks, that's a hot tip. Thanks.
1: Hot oh. tip. Um, my next one is slightly is not as it, it's not as entertaining as sleep no more, but it's definitely as scary. Uh, I, talk about we got to talk about Tiger Woods' goatee, right? So Mac good. Daddy son. So good. It, well, that
0: was so weird.
1: So weird, Ted. And so like you know he tweeted the shirtless picture. You know, oh like look, Ty, You know, very much sort of of the of the feel that uh, Tiger Woods is kind of loosening up um in, in his in his, his own unique way. But then. He goes, he, he goes and plays golf with Donald Trump the next day um, as president-elects get to um, – and presidents, as Obama did, pl- get to play with Tiger Woods. And Tiger Woods is rocking this goatee still, this dyed blonde or dyed silver goatee. I, it, I don't quite know what to think about it, but it definitely is deserving on to be on this list.
0: Oh, absolutely. It feels uh, it feels a little bit punk rock to me to be like I'm wearing this blonde goatee to go golf with the new president, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, very punk rock.
0: <laughs> um, I like it. I like. I feel like a lot of these guys, especially like to, and and you obviously know you're a golf guy. You know Tiger Woods uh, better than I do, right? As a public figure, but it feels like, especially a guy like Tiger Woods, a guy like Michael Jordan, a guy like um, LeBron James doesn't really fit in this category because I think he he has been a little bit better about uh, having a personality. But uh, A Rod certainly before his his uh, turn into being a broadcaster, Derek Jeter in baseball. Um, So many of these sort of uh, front-and-center, top-flight pro athletes um, are so well-coached from such a young age, right? Like Tiger Woods was the chosen one, right? He was a guy we all knew would be the biggest golf star, and I think um, you sort of learn if you're smart about it, and and, you know, I think for all the things we know about Tiger Woods, I don't think anyone would say he's not like a, a pretty smart guy, right? Is that fair?
1: Yeah, no. I think uh, for all his knocks, uh, not being smart is not one of them.
0: Right, and I think that you know you sort of become trained, and you sort of understand that your your best route for you know endorsements for for success financially uh, is sort of stripping away the interesting parts of your personality and so sometimes I think for um, for a guy like Tiger Woods who obviously has uh, seen a lot of his endorsements for, for a variety of his behaviors he's lost a lot of his endorsements he's lost a lot of his fame he's not the golfer he once was right that's fair I know he just had a nice uh, a nice comeback effort but it's certainly like he's not the he's not the top golfer in the world anymore right?
1: Oh, absolutely. Very fair to say. Very, so I, very.
0: I kind of like to see when these guys loosen up, and, and, and to me, and, and I get that, not the whole world, that people like sort of a bland, vanilla athlete, right, and for whatever reason. Or maybe it's just easiest to market those guys, because then, you know, Nike can shape you to be however Nike wants you to be, but... I love it to see a guy like Tiger Woods just sort of let his freak flag fly, right, and show up with this weird Mac Daddy Santa outfit, because it's personality, like, I want to see that personality, and if a guy's a weirdo, um, as a weirdo myself, that makes me like him more.
1: Yeah, you know, and I think it's one of these things, you know, I've talked about this before, I've written about this before, for the whereas, um, you know, we, in American and, you know, worldwide sports culture, what we do is we take... Uh, we essentially bribe kids from a very young age and we dangle in front of them the uh, fame and fortune and popularity and every everything you can think of and you say you can have all of this if you win um, this is the you can do whatever you want you are the king of the world but you have to win and so we essentially are training these prospective professional athletes to be professional athletes but in doing so we're kind of training them to be killers right like we want them just to uh, to, pull, pull, uh, to pull the trigger when when they have their quote unquote enemy in their sight right like and so how does this relate to Tiger Woods this was Tiger Woods's life up until the age of 10 years ago you know five years ago um, he was the chosen one he was trained to be the kid who who wins and the and if you win winning solves everything and that's all you need to think about um if you win people will love you and everything good will happen whereas now what we're starting to see is as his golf career has started to wind down and as he started to become a bit more of a real person you know he's had kids now um he he, he which apparently takes not just take seriously it's really changed to is as a person um we're starting just to see him reach a stage of development in, in a way that a lot of uh, that, 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 that a lot of us come around to a little sooner because the first half of his life was spent on a golf course being a competitive athlete um, and now he's starting to have fun with it and I think you start to see a lot of this with professional athletes as they get older but um, it's certainly the case with Tiger Woods where he's just starting to he's starting to be comfortable with, and trying to find out who he is in a lot of cases outside of the golf course.
0: Yeah, I almost wonder how the era of social media will affect that, right? Like, I I think that like Jordan is sort of to me like the sort of the the textbook bland athlete, right? It seemed like Michael Jordan was sort of uh, other than the fact that he was a hyper competitive guy, uh, other than the fact that he liked golfing and that he liked gambling and that he liked winning above else. It felt like you know, for as famous a guy as Michael Jordan was, it felt like we knew so little about Michael Jordan right we knew that like he talked trash on the basketball court because he knew he was the best and he wanted to be the best and he wanted to be the best in everything and that was basically it right and and that worked for Jordan right and like Jordan is the guy who famously said you know Republicans buy sneakers too when they asked him why he wasn't supporting a political candidate why he wasn't taking a political stance when really he was this guy that was an icon to so many people who if he did take a political stance people actually would have listened for better or worse Michael Jordan was such an international superstar that Michael. Jordan had a, a forum that you know maybe six other people in the world had, and his and his the choice he decided to make was like, I'm not going to say anything I think because Republicans buy sneakers too, right? And like all due respect, right? Like he obviously made him a billionaire or whatever he is, and if that's what he wants, that's that's what he can do. But I wonder if. In this era of sport, social media, when we do have access to athletes in a way we never have before, right? And when you do get some athletes um, d- choosing to reveal more of themselves to the public, and I think in a way that can benefit them, right? Like I feel like uh, people like Steph Curry more uh, because of of Riley Curry, because of Aisha Curry, because we feel like we know him and we know his family and we know what his his home like life is like, and I think that, you know, ultimately that does benefit an athlete in some ways to reveal certain parts of their life to the world, and and I'm not saying every athlete has to do this, it it depends on who you are, but I kind of wonder, and maybe this is just a hopeful thing for me, if we will see guys be a little bit more interesting moving forward, because, you know, now that there is, first of all, a controlled way they can sort of manage their messages, and uh, a, you know, some sort of benefit, I think, to being like... Well, not only is this guy really good at his sport, but I happen to think he seems like a funny guy on Twitter, or he's a likable guy on Instagram, or like he's a beautiful guy on Facebook, whatever it is. Um, I kind of am hopeful that, you know, Tiger Woods here uh, is also a reflection of guys like feeling a little bit more comfortable being themselves publicly when it, as an athlete, that hasn't always been uh, to your best benefit.
1: Yeah, I think that's fair. I think that's very fair. Um, Yeah, and I think what we're also starting to see with social media in the social age of social media too is that um, there's so much noise out there that um, it's actually starting to become a bit more imperative for athletes to stand out in one way or another. Um, And and standing out often means expressing who you are and your personality.
0: Exactly. Uh, let's move on. So I'm going to go. So this is number two. Um, and again, this is sort of a, a vague order. Uh, and, I, and we're, we're getting, we're getting kind of long here. So we'll be quick with this because um, I want to get to your number one, which I'm excited about. Uh, this is something that, that we have on the site that uh, Alicia wrote about. Um, and it was it was something from the vertical originally ice cube. Uh, one of uh, an, an artist that means a whole lot to me in a lot of ways, um, is starting a new three-on-three basketball league um, that's going to be a bunch of, of ex-NBA players playing three-on-three basketball, um, including and an ex-NBA player's coaching and possibly ex-NBA player's broadcasting. Uh, a very it's not going to be every night, right? It's going to be you play once a week or something. So these guys uh, who can still play um, are playing a sort of a different version of their sport. Um, I the That it's retired basketball players doesn't matter as much to me, I guess, as the idea that it's a three-on-three league because it's a half-court league. And like I, I kind of love the idea of seeing people – compete in the versions of the sport that we compete in, right? Like, I know, obviously, I'm sure you have, and I have played full-court basketball. Like, every once in a while, if you're playing basketball, you have enough dudes, and you have a full-court, and you say, like, let's play full-court. But, like, the bulk of basketball, and it's not that I've played a ton of basketball over my life, but the bulk of the basketball I've played in my life has been pick-up basketball, half-court, two-on-two, or three-on-three, three, right? And, like, I kinda wanna see how that works with guys who are actually good at basketball. And so that's kinda why I love this so much is I love the idea of seeing the top flight athletes play the same versions of the game that we play. Now I know like as a golf guy that you're playing basically the same sport. You may maybe you're teeing off from a different spot, but you're playing basically the same sport as the as the pro guys. And that's I think that's probably part of the appeal of golf and the appeal of watching golf is saying like Oh my God! I could never even imagine hitting that three shot, right? Uh, that that tee shot, not that three shot. That's a that's a basketball thing. Um, but but oh,
1: yeah, it, you're absolutely right. And that's actually a really contentious issue within golf. Is that um, you know you're starting to see, for example, pros hit the ball so far um, and just manhandle golf courses that are impossible for everybody else to um to play and you're to, people are starting to ask like why why are we making pros use the same kind of equipment that we're allowing amateurs to use uh and render all these golf courses uh completely um obsolete like we should have one rule for pros and one rule for amateurs so we can keep these golf courses um uh, around you know, so, so we can keep them relevant um, by rolling back the ball um, and making the ball go less far, for example, because, you know, pros start bumping up against the ceiling in ways that amateurs could never dream of. It's actually, so it's, it's actually really interesting. A uh, uh, quick diversion is that that's actually a big issue in golf, but it's absolutely um, seen as both among players and their governing bodies as one of the biggest appeals of the sport.
0: Right, is that you're playing the same, story. and and I could, and I would say that probably uh, if you're an equipment manufacturer, right, like you. Absolutely want the pros playing on that equipment so you can turn around and say like, hey, Luke, buy the golf ball that that Jordan Spieth hits. Right. Because uh, that that is that has, I don't know. Not, not that necessarily is an appeal to you, but that is certainly an appeal to, I think, the average golf bro is like, well, I just saw Rory McElroy hitting this driver. I want to hit that driver, too. Right.
1: Oh, absolutely. You know, there's a reason why, like, you know, Nike's you know apparel has become so such a huge part of Nike's strategy because Tiger Woods wears, and all of a sudden everyone wants to buy the hat that Tiger Woods wears, even though they don't have anything Nike.
0: Right. And so I would say, like, the 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 appeal, though, of the three on three basketball to me is that this is the like this is the most basic version of the sport uh in the way that it is played in you know uh in middle school gyms and, and out on the you know out on the courts everywhere um, and so I, I don't know I'm kind of psyched to see what it looks like when really really awesome guys are limited to the half court and when there are no breakaways right like there's no breakaways in a half court basketball game uh no fast break you you are there's always a defender there and so I don't know that's that's the version of basketball again that I've played and I know how bad I am at it so it would be cool to see what an, what an ex NBA player looks like uh in that in that setup and and with only three guys there right and so psyched about that and I also kind of love the the idea of like could we get x major leaguers playing wiffle ball in some sort of format you know like what i could I, I would watch that right that would be so cool to watch um uh,
1: absolutely would, would watch that
0: right so um you know and i like could we have x nfl players playing touch football you know I, I don't know like i just um it sort of goes with like i i love the idea and we've discussed this i know before like i love the idea of seeing what Uh, what pro athletes look like uh, just on like the regular human spectrum. Because I think that generally people don't really appreciate like the – freakishness of your of your standard NBA eighth guy in the rotation. Like, that guy is the best athlete you have ever known by far, right? Like, that guy is just operating on a different level than everybody you have ever met in all sports, and I kind of feel like anything we can do to, like, show that, to expose that, to see what it looks like when people are co- competing on the same level as, uh, when the, the great athletes are competing on the same level as, like, the regular schmoes like me and you, and I know you're a, probably way better at golf than I have ever been at anything. So say that with a grain of salt, then I'm putting you in my category, but, uh, it, it's cool. I just like, I like, I like the three on three idea. I think it's cool. I'm psyched. I will totally watch that.
1: Yeah, no, I I would absolutely watch that too.
0: Um, give me your number one best thing.
1: All right. My number one best thing without doubt is got to give a shout out to beef Wellington here. Okay. So, um, uh, Ted, we talked about this a little before air. And... That's
0: like the most British thing that's ever been said. <laughs> I'd like All to give way, a his... shout out to Beef Wellington. <laughs> <laughs> beef Wellington.
1: No relation. Uh, no, no, no relation to the Beef No well. relation. <laughs> um, yeah, so we celebrated Christmas, my girlfriend and I, by uh, making a Beef Wellington. And it was unbelievably delicious. Um, it, it, and it really is. It really does beg the question why we don't, Uh, why we don't surround and encompass more meats in pastry because it's such a good idea it's such a
0: good such a good idea and you know what's funny is it's like a a universal appeal like everybody everybody wraps meat in pastry everybody like there are um this is something i've i've actually been super intrigued by my whole life is like like every single culture has its own savory pastry right like you have like the beef wellington is basically like a giant meat pie right
1: yeah, 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 exactly.
0: And, and like you go to Texas or Eastern Europe and there's something called kolaches and that's a pastry. Um, you can get them sweet. You can, there, it could be a pastry around like a jelly, but it's – it's the way I like it is like a pastry wrapped around a sausage, which is incredible. There's the the Jamaican patty, right? There's the empanada. Like there's so many different forms of um, – in uh, the upper peninsula of Michigan has something called a pasty or pasty. I don't know, even know how you say it, but it's the same the pasty, idea. Yes. Yeah, a pasty, That's Pasty, that's a British thing too, right?
1: It is, it is, and and I, I know you're a sandwich guy, so you might hate me for what I'm about to say, but I would uh, much prefer eat a piece of meat, like a hamburger, for example, if it was wrapped in pastry, as, as if it was, instead of it being wrapped in all Encased in a bun of some sort.
0: Well, I disagree. i mean, I disagree. I just think that they're—they're they're similar. I would say they're related but separate things. Because, like you, when you're eating beef Wellington, you don't—you don't pick up the beef Wellington. That's right? true. That's very so, true. like, I would say, like, a, something wrapped in pastry. It's like the same sort of appeal. It's the mix of meat, of protein, and starch. That is, I think, again, like something that every single culture has, like a Chinese pork bun uh, is the same thing, right? And, and so um, it's the same appeal as the sandwich, I think, or a similar appeal, but the sandwich, what makes it so beautiful is its portability, in my opinion. Um, that's, true. that's And that's, true. that's why I object to the nature of like the open-faced sandwich. I don't think that's a sandwich at all. That's something closer to Beef Wellington. But uh, what I want to bring up is that is that I didn't know this, and because – My family also has Beef Wellington uh, every Christmas Eve, and um, I guess I didn't realize that that is a Christmas tradition. Um, And and you said – I asked you before the show if it was, and I had heard – I forgot who else said they had Beef Wellington on Christmas besides you. um, But it was like this Christmas for the first time ever, I heard of two other – people noting eating beef wellington around christmas um it's actually something we've done with the the side of my family uh that's scottish That's half scottish my my grandmother uh was born in scotland and it was it was her side of the family that had the beef wellington every year i had no idea that this was a tradition
1: yes it is so i i need to clarify beef wellington to christmas is not like turkey to Thanksgiving, Mm -hmm. for example but what but what beef wellington is is that it's uh, it, it, it's it's a thing that you make when you sort of have a feast that requires standing on ceremony. You know, uh, Ted, if uh, God forbid the Berg household were ever to join with the Kurdnine household through marriage or some sort, um, at, at <laughs> if, 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 if if, uh, if if i if i decided to uh, drag my house's name through the mountain <laughs>
0: yeah i don't know if you want to i don't we don't have like a good family crest or anything uh, like uh, that no, so. it,
1: it could be problematic but nevertheless if if you were to get married um to a i family, am married
0: yeah. i am married to a woman you, <laughs> who
1: is not in a in a, in a hypothetical world um you would we would serve B. Wellington at that celebration feast, right? It's like that kind of a dish. Like that. Um, it takes a it's a it's incredibly labour intensive. It's very decadent by sort of English standards. You know, it's not like a French meal, but it's, you know, it requires <laughs>
0: Uh, it's very decadent by english standards it's not like a humdrum wednesday night french meal but it's it's, yeah
1: i mean the french like when you talk about decadent and you think of french food it's just in a different universe a different strategy you know it's everything um but it's it requires a lot of assembly and a a lot of effort and a lot of buy-in and so um it a natural extension of it is that you start making it at christmas time right like um because it's a it's to celebration, so um, yeah, so that's how it sort of become a Christmas thing. But it wouldn't be necessarily out of place to be having it at other places too.
0: Okay, yeah, so it's, a, it's like a, I would say like probably like a ham, and like I'm not a, I'm not the biggest yeah that's not the good, biggest ham yeah, lover, for- but like I feel like a ham is something like because you're not gonna get a ham. Right? Like, you get ham. You can get, like, a sliced ham from the deli. That's one thing. But, like, you're not going to get a full spiraled ham unless there's some sort of occasion, right? So you might have ham on Christmas. I know a lot of people have ham on Christmas. A lot of people have ham on Easter, right? There's, like, times of the year when you're going to have ham. But you only have a ham if it's a celebration of something.
1: Exactly. But, yes, um, it's very delicious for those unfamiliar. It is a slab of beef. Tenderloin, um, encompassed or smothered in mustard, Dijon mustard, uh, surrounded in uh, uh, in sort of a mushroom um, mushroom paste. Uh, a lot of people use pate. And then it's encompassed in prosciutto. And then it's surrounded by uh, by pastry.
0: By okay, pastry. well, so this got, just got interesting. This just got real. Because <laughs>
1: oh, damn, I had good. no
0: idea that. So is the prosciutto, is that, and I said, I, as an Italian man, I'm like, is the prosciutto because I used to work in a deli, but prosciutto around the beef wellington, that's a standard thing, because in my house, that was not part of it.
1: Yeah, no, so basically, uh, the, the, the reason for the prosciutto is, I mean, it's delicious, and then it adds a touch of saltiness, but the, the key issue with... Uh, cooking the beef is that the, the beef tends to be to get juicy, right? And if it go, and if you didn't have the prosciutto there, and if you didn't have the pate there, and you just had the puff pastry around, it, the puff pastry would get soggy. So the prosciutto or uh, thin meat of that kind is used to sort of keep all the moisture huh. inside.
0: Huh, and yeah. so yeah, that's that is fascinating to me because I think yes, because I, I like a beef Wellington, I don't like mushrooms personally, so like I will usually. I'll like sort of scrape the mushroom part off from between the pastry and the beef, and then cut up the beef so that it's like the the pastry part alone on the mushrooms, and I sort of push the mushroom, uh, no, pastry part alone on the beef. I push the mushrooms to the side. That's how I roll. Yeah, yeah. I would, yeah, so I would in, absolutely in, in, love that. And the and the other person, I, and I know it was someone at at my mom's side of the Christmas family, uh, the family who mentioned the beef Wellington, and they said they used prosciutto, and I figured. Uh, it's because my mom's side is Italian. Uh, so I just thought they they need to add Italian meats into everything, which I understand wholeheartedly. Um, I yeah, didn't know so that, that was part of it.
1: Yeah, no. So it, the easiest way to think about it is that you want a you use the mustard to sort of glue the ham essentially to the beef, which makes a little seal, and then you use the um and then you use the mushrooms between the pastry and the uh, and the prosciutto in order to create a glue for the pastry, if that makes sense. So you need these two different liquidy things to stick it all together, and then there's a layer in between that protects the inside juices from the crispy pastry.
0: Well, that is just some advanced food construction, and I will lobby my beautiful mother, who is a wonderful cook, I should say, to incorporate the prosciutto, but I feel like um – I don't know how that'll go over with the rest of my family because they're used to the way she makes it. So um, maybe they won't want that as much as I want that. But I feel like when you can put in some sort of cured ham into any dish, you should. So I'm going gonna, gonna to definitely carry the torch for that tradition.
1: Absolutely. You should. I highly recommend it. And, uh, you know, I, I, I love my country, England, very much, very dearly. Um, but uh, not... I'm willing to admit not really known for its food, but but <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and admit that. But uh, beef Wellington, it's hard to quibble with that. It's it's delicious.
0: Well, like I always uh, I always say about I mean Scottish food. First of all, oh I, I don't even want to say what I always say about Scottish food. Just the <laughs> names. <laughs> Um, but I would I would defer to like the Mike Myers quote from So I Married an Axe Murder, where He's like it's uh, it's been my opinion that ninety um, percent of Scottish cuisine starts with a dare, <laughs> um, and, <laughs> uh, and that was kind of my I mean my my grandmother was not the best cook to begin with. She was a a working woman before her time, and and I think uh, my dad grew up on a lot of fast food and and microwave dinners, which is uh, part of where I got my fast food affinity. Um, but, uh, yeah, I've never been a, a huge fan, I can't say, of, of cuisine of the UK. That is not – like I'm down with the meat pie. I'm down with that idea, but I don't even feel like they've mastered that. I feel like that's what Jamaicans did.
1: Yeah, you know, this is this is why uh, we need to try to talk Hemel off the cliff when it comes to being such a food utilitarian because uh, too many food utilitarian leads to a country like England or Scotland where you're just – basically just eating any form of protein simply because you need to right. and Right. end up eating haggis and then it becomes normalized even though it's really disgusting
0: i think that is a great place to end luke this has been fun and for like the fourth straight show i have gone way way longer than i intended to i don't know if anyone's still listening uh but if you are uh thanks for for sticking it out and please do uh Check out what Luke is writing and tweeting at at Luke Kerdinian, and he's at For the Win. Is any any place else people should catch you? Uh,
1: I would say catch me on Twitter, but I'm almost certain you won't be able to spell my name. So just go ahead and go to For the Win, and you'll see my byline.
0: Um, yeah, and that's cool. And you can, uh, of course, uh, I'm at Twitter on on at O G Ted Berg, T E D B E R G. Lucas Luke L U K E K K E R R D I N E E N. Did I get that right?
1: You got it perfect.
0: Yeah, that's right. Um, and but you can more importantly check out the For the Win podcast on Stitcher, on SoundCloud, and on iTunes. Please subscribe, rate us, review us. Is this way too long? You tell me. You're the one who listened for a full hour, uh, so give us a review, uh, give us a subscription. Let us know what we can be doing better, what we could be doing worse, why we're the best. Especially if the reviews are good, we want to hear them. Uh, so so give me a shout out. Uh, you can get it, Luke, or me on twitter uh and you can read again all the stuff uh all the things we're talking about save perhaps the beef wellington uh or the art installations on for the win which is ftw.usa.com. Uh i swallowed that i should say it again ftw.usatoday.com and uh luke's uh once once more thanks for joining me
1: always a pleasure ted looking forward to
0: it peace out